Hello, everyone. I must tell you that I knew of criminals whose lives were forever ruined and whose families and friends and communities that are forever ruined because they were indicted, convicted, and incarcerated due to the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act. The Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations RICO Act is a United States federal law that provides for extended criminal penalties and a civil cause of action for acts performed as part of an ongoing criminal investigation. Under RICO, a person who has committed at least two acts of racketeering activity drawn from at least 35 crimes, 27 federal crimes, and eight state crimes within a 10-year period, can be charged with racketeering if such acts are related in one of four specified ways to an enterprise. Those found guilty of racketeering can be fined up to $25,000 and sentenced to 20 years in prison per racketeering account. In addition, the racketeer must forfeit all ill-gotten gains and interest in any business gain through a pattern of racketeering activity. So, I heard about... criminals having RICO charges on them. And there are criminals that first joined organized crime and they quickly got jailed because they were so boisterous and so loud about their crimes that they ended up quickly being incarcerated. They did federal crimes state crimes, city crimes so quickly and got busted for it so fast. So every week I was seeing criminals get arrested. Every week I would see police officers taking criminals off the streets. I even saw police officers use the baton to beat up criminals with it. I've seen the cocaine sniffing dogs and you could tell by the look on the dog's face that oh so and so about to go to jail because the dog is facial expressions and the way that the dog's nose And police can have been taught to understand um, that when a dog sniffs a certain way or non-verbally behaves a certain way, oh, this person is about to go to jail because the dog busted you through its strong scent of smell. And I could tell by how the dog was behaving. Like if a dog didn't see any or 
smell any drugs. The dog would just act like regular dogs do, but the, sometimes you could tell that the dog sensed drugs because the, the, the dog would be deep in thought. The dog would sniff like, the dog sniffing would be louder than normal. And you could see the dog have a concerned look, that's when I knew, oh, this drug enterprise is over. This dog destroyed the drug enterprise with its smell. And a minute or two later, folks getting locked up. So as a kid, that's what I saw, and that's how I knew that, oh, these dudes are done for. They'll never come back home And usually I was right, because I would say this in my head while witnessing it, like, oh, well, the RICO charges. So you had federal charges. I've seen criminals be incarcerated for federal charges, state charges, and because they would do their dirt in D.C., city charges. I've seen criminals who... They would go to multiple prisons. Oh, man, they was in D.C. City Jail. Oh, you know, Maryland got them on some charges. Oh, Virginia got them on some charges. Oh, the RICO charges. So it's normal to see criminals experiencing penitentiary transference. And usually they were solitary confinement type criminals because other criminals... That were later go that were later in those supermax prisons. Yes, I I've seen criminals get convicted and incarcerated at, you know, supermax prisons. Um It was scary because even in jail not everybody's reformed and so when you have to house the most dangerous, notorious criminals, that means notorious, dangerous criminals that came in, you still have your life to worry about because you don't know what these criminals are capable of in terms of prison. You know what they're capable of outside of prison. You don't know. They may be even worse than they were before they got to prison. Now they're in prison. They're even much worse than that. So because of that, I did hear through the wire, through the grapevine that, oh, you know, so-and-so got raped in jail. So-and-so got stabbed in jail. So-and-so is experiencing conjugal visits or so-and-so has a gay lover um, and it's the person's bunkmate or another person's bunkmate. Oh, like I, this stuff would, ha- I would hear this when it came to what happened in women prisons and men prisons. You know, so-and-so dropped the soap and that's why um, they hate life because, you know, man raped another man, woman raped another woman. I used to hear that stuff when I was five, just in that street life. You know, you and the stuff turned out to be true because the person's families, I've seen it. They would go, yeah, that actually happened. 
If they weren't quick to refute it, it was obvious that happened. Now, some of the stuff, like, if people said rumors, then usually those families would quickly shut it down. And because they quickly shut it down, the streets left it alone and wasn't brought up much again. But if, if it was said that these things are happening through, via rumors, right? These things are happening and the families were not quick to shut it down. It was automatic, yes, it did happen. The families would go, yeah, that happened. Yeah, yeah, I don't really want to talk about it, but it did happen. It is real. I saw this all the time. Yeah. I, you know, trials and custody, being in custody, court cases, being arraigned and indicted, it was normal for me to see that on the streets. Like, let me read to you the RICO predicate offenses and let me tell you what I actually saw. So under the law, the meaning of racketeering activity set out at 18 U.S.C. 1961. As currently amended includes a violation of state statutes against gambling, murder, kidnapping, extortion, arson, robbery, bribery, dealing in obscene matter, dealing in a controlled substance, illicit chemical, as find the Controlled Substance Acts. Pause. Did I know criminals who got RICO charges when it came to gambling? Yes. Murder? Yes. Kidnapping? Yes. Extortion? Yes. Arson? Yes. Robbery? Yes. Bribery? Yes. Dealing obscene matters? Yes. Dealing in controlled substances chemicals find the Controlled Substances Act? Yes. Did I know criminals who were locked up because they violated the Controlled Substance Act, CSA? Yes. Now, let me read to you the next thing and let me tell you what I saw. Any act of bribery, counterfeiting, theft, embezzlement, fraud, dealing obscene matter, obstruction of justice, slavery, racketeering, gambling, money laundering, commission of murder for hire, many other offenses covered under the Federal Criminal Code of Title 18. So... Did I see criminals commit all the offenses covering the Federal Criminal Code of Title 18, such as bribery? Yes. Counterfeiting? Yes. Theft? Yes. Embezzlement? Yes. Fraud? Yes. Dealing obscene matters? Yes. Obstruction of justice? Yes. Slavery? Yes. Racketeering? Yes. Gambling? Yes. Money laundering? Yes. Commission of murder for hire? Yes. And the many other offenses covered that are not mentioned but, the, but are entitled to the Federal Criminal Code? Yes. That's how much dirt they would do. Now, okay, the next one says embezzlement of union funds. Did I see that? Yes. Was Did I see RICO charges when it came to that? I did. Okay, the next one says bankruptcy fraud or securities fraud. Did I see that? Yes. Did I see that RICO charge? Those RICO charges given under that? Yes. The next one says drug trafficking, long-term and elaborate drug networks can also be prosecuted. Can also be prosecuted using a continual criminal enterprise statute. Did I see? Drug trafficking, 
And RICO charges for the drug trafficking? Yes. Did I see long-term and elaborate drug networks that are, that are prosecuted using the continual criminal enterprise statute? Yes. And did I see RICO charges for that? Yes. The next one says criminal copyright infringement. Did I see that? Yes. Did I see RICO charges for that? Yes. The next one says money laundering and related offenses. Did I see that? Yes. Did I see RICO charges for that? Yes. The next one says bringing in, aiding, or assisting aliens. I I don't like calling human beings that. And illegally entering the country to actually was for financial gain. Did I see that? Yes. Did I see RICO charges for that? Yes. Acts of terrorism. Did I see that? Yes. Did I see RICO charges for that? Yes. Did Was I exposed to violations of the continuing criminal enterprise statute coming referred to as CCE statute or Kingpin, Kingpin statute? Yes. And did I see char- did I see federal charges for that? Yes. Did I see vi- fe- did I see what is called felony violations of the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention Control Act of 1970? Yes. Did I see federal charges for that? Yes. Now, I also saw violations of the USA Patriot Act. Um, expanded surveillance abilities of law enforcement, including by tapping domestic and international phones, easier interagency communication to allow federal agencies to more effectively use all available resources and counterism efforts and increased penalties for terrorism crimes and expanded list of activities which would qualify for terrorism charges. Um, I saw those provisions used a lot because a lot of organized crime figures didn't just commit crimes in D.C., Maryland, Virginia. I mean, they had connections everywhere. Um, and of course, I like that Obama extended three more provisions. Sadly, it it was extended until 2019, which ended, you know, the USA Freedom Act, you know. Um, which helped out more, the USA Freedom Act. But I remember seeing a lot of federal agencies intervening in organized crime. I I saw it often um, because the criminals would... They, they, they had international connections, so they would do their dirt in other countries. They would travel back and forth flying on um, mafia-type planes. It would look like a regular plane, but I could tell which one was a mafia plane and not a mafia plane. It would... It wouldn't... 
it wasn't as celebrity private jet, but it looks, it resembled, I'm like, okay, that's a mafia plane, that's a cartel plane. Because it would look spiffy, but not as spiffy as a private jet a celebrity would take. And they also flew in helicopters, too. They would fly in these celebrity-type helicopters. I'm like, wow, that doesn't look much different than a celebrity helicopter, but close enough. So I was like, wow. So I would see these violations because um, criminals would try to circumvent the provisions of these acts, right? I'm glad that, you know, Obama extended it. By the time he did, I was out of organized crime, but I, you know, I remember with the Patriot Act, even though it came out in 2001, I was already out of organized crime then, I, I would see the U.S. Patriot Act type of activity, something that resembled it in 99, 98, um, I saw a lot of counterterrorism efforts, domestic, international phones being tapped, surveillance abilities, um, terrorism charges, terrorism crimes, increased penalties. I kept seeing that more and more and more internationally um, because that's how much dirt the criminals would do. Um, let me see. So this is what happened from that time just uh you know I remember uh you know criminals um being a threat to the um Just being a threat. In these type of ways. So I can tell you. That this stuff does happen to people. This is not a game. This really does happen. So I'm discouraging people from that type of world. And sentences running concurrently and consecutively, I witnessed that. I remember seeing federal prosecutors, state prosecutors, city prosecutors all the time. They look like regular people. I've seen them wear costumes um, because if you look like a police officer, it, it, there was a strong chance you could you, you could get you can get killed and beaten up. But a lot of the police officers look like regular people. When they start arresting people, that's when you go, "Oh, this is the cops." Some criminals able to figure out, "Hey, I think that's five zero because the way they're driving on me or." The way they talking to me. Most of the time, even the criminals could not tell because they would act like regular people. They could be laughing and joking with you. And then <gasps> you're under arrest because you admitted to da-da-da-da-da. And anything said or against you could be used in the court of law. 
I've seen that. I've seen immunity being granted. I've seen some people not get immunity because they were just not willing to share at all. Even immunity couldn't change them. And um, that world is it, it's rough. It's rougher than people understand. I've seen people that are called snitches get murdered. People, I've seen people that are called rats get murdered. And I'm, I don't live by street codes. Once I left the streets, um, between, you know... In the year 1999, I left the streets. Or should I say I was forced out the streets. I think criminal codes are disastrous, calamitous, and catastrophic. Because I want to live by the codes of moral excellence. So the whole anti-rat and anti-snitch cultures, I reject those cultures because I choose not to live by criminality. Once I was able to be forced out um, non-violently, um physically nonviolent, I should say, I never went back to that world, ever. Even if I tried, I wouldn't be allowed to anyway, because the organized crime figures, the majority of them said, there is no way in hell that Antonio is allowed back. There's no way in heaven he's allowed back. There's no way in purgatory he's allowed back. Those are their exact words. If it, They say if Antonio tries to come back, you know, they said they, 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 they harmed his mind because he was so used to it. So just encourage him to stay in school and, you know, encourage him to do well in school and you know, encourage him to just do all the positive things in life that he's supposed to be doing. So I never was tempted to go back because I never wanted to go back. I never want to go back, never have, never will. Once I was forced out, I was thanking Jesus for it. I was like, Jesus, thank you so much for keeping me from this world that's anti you. Those are my exact words to, to Jesus at that time. I'm never going back. That's like once I left the psych ward, notice I've never been back. One, I haven't been back in five years. I ain't ever going back. If I do go back, it's not because of what I did. It's for um, genuine reformation efforts. And I've never been to, I mean, I've never been to prison for doing anything wrong. But if I ever do go to prison, it's because, oh, Antonio is helping out with criminal justice efforts and and the prison system needs his, needs his help. That's how people look at it. Like, oh, man, you know, 
Antonio is here uh, changing lives for the better. So him being in jail is not bad. It's, he, he, you know, he's not, he didn't get arrested, you know. He came here voluntary because there are people that want to change. And he goes to where the people want to change. And the change is all positive, so. And then, it, I, you know, if, if I'll never go to a ha- halfway house because of what I did, it'll be, oh, Antonio's in a halfway house because... Oh, Antonio's just a positive change agent type of person. So if he's in these type of places, you know, it actually enhances his reputation. That's already good even more because, okay, people are becoming good people just like Antonio. Okay, that's how people will look at it pretty much. So I just want to tell people that world... I've seen that world. I've seen families be separate forever. Try to try to be a spouse while your spouse is in jail. And the only time you get to have sex with your spouse is conjugal visits. I was actually told what that meant back then. And I've seen prison pen pals. I've seen sometimes criminals would, you know, would write letters to um, criminal friends in jail. And I've, and they would read to me the letters and show me the letters. Um, I read them. Name it, you know, I didn't cry in front of the criminal, but when the criminal's back was turned, I suddenly cried. It, it just hurt. So, and I remember a lot, some criminals actually left organized crime because their friends from jail said, you need to get up out of here. Do you want to? Do you want to share a cell with me? If you keep doing what you're doing, get out. And I and I've seen and in letters I've seen criminal friends from jail write to them say, I I will report you to law enforcement if you don't get out of, or if you don't get out of crime now. If you stay, uh, if you once you get this letter. If you stay another day in jail, right, I'm going to report you because you should not be wasting your life doing all this. I've changed. You're going to change with me because I said so. I've seen that. I've seen some profane letters letting it be known. If you don't get your dumb ass out this motherfucking crime ass world, I'll report your stupid ass to the fucking cops. I've seen that. I've seen criminals leave crime that day and they never went back. I've seen that. I've seen that those similar I've seen uh sentimental mushy letters. Sentimental mushy are good by the way. Uh, are good traits, by the way. I've seen sentimental mushy letters from, you know, spouses in jail, um, parents in jail, and they were both encouraging their family and friends in their communities to stay out of crime and to be crime fighters. So I've seen criminals become crime fighters. I've seen criminals report themselves to law enforcement and saying, hey, I want to fight crime. I've changed. So the criminals, from what I heard and seen, would serve their time. 
then they will spend the rest of their lives combating crime, not just with law enforcement, but changing their communities to devastate and say, hey, I want to be a community activist full time. I want to be of community upliftment full time. I've seen that. Um, Other things I saw in that world was, um, you know, I remember... Um, being in the organized crime world and I always feel the need to defend myself like I remember being on the defensive all the time on the offensive all the time too Um, in the organized crime world I rarely smiled I rarely laughed I rarely told jokes I rarely laughed I rarely I rarely acted happy Right. That was because I was around a lot of guys that were hyper masculine dudes. And that's what one of the reasons why one of my street names was Mr. About His Business was because if you act, if you acted happy often, your manhood was in question. To be considered a woman is also to be considered gay and trans. Gay, trans, and woman are all one and the same to hyper-masculine criminals. So, because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I wasn't um, pure evil. I just had a serious look on my face, but a serious look, it didn't... It wasn't, hey, I'm going to try to look tough to start shit with people, just to start shit with people. It was more of, I had a calm but serious look on my face. Just not smiling, but I wasn't like barking and snapping on people just to do it. No, I would just be there, but I was calm looking, but I had a serious look on my face, so... Um, the only time I showed a lot of happiness and a lot of playfulness, I couldn't show a lot of playfulness in, in the organized crime world. The only times I showed a lot of playfulness, a lot of laughter, a lot of joking, um, a lot of smiling, a lot of just acting, you know, being happy was with women. That was the only time I showed it the most. And of course, I showed my bubble personality with women, with people with disabilities, with, you know, black folks, just civilians. Most of the time, if you saw me acting really, really happy and bubbly, I was around people that weren't doing dirt, and I was around the oppressed. But, you know, the women criminals, they actually liked me being bubbly. Because it meant, oh, okay. And we feel safe with Antonio, so with them, I was bubbly. I was a bubbly guy. Around the guys, I was, I was stoic. Um, I kept to myself. And at the same time, when I was around them, I was a cool, calm, and collected type of person. Um, with women. I was calm, cool, and collected, but I was excited, bubbly, chirpy, 
silly, fun-loving type of person around guys. I was, I was still, um, I didn't talk too much and I didn't have the whole, you're not talking enough. I would talk just right. This is organized crime standards of introversion and extroversion. Um, people usually didn't ask me what it's called dumb questions because they knew I wouldn't answer them. Um, I mean, at first, when I first started getting organized crime, people was like, why are you asking Antonio this dumbass question? From that day forward, people ain't, wasn't big on asking me dumb questions. If you challenged me to a fight and I bloody pulped you, knocked you out, those are the only type of people that would try to get at me, but I shut them down quick. I'm not bragging about any of this. I'm just telling you what I remember. Um, even... With women, I wasn't loud. Um, I wasn't aggressive. I wasn't hyper-masculine. With women, I was the teddy bear, cute and cuddly type of guy. I was that way with women the most, other oppressed persons and civilians. People just didn't do dirt. But with guys, I was... I was vocal. Um... I was loud, heard, um, you could hear me miles away. I had, I was, I was forced to be overly assertive and I was forced to be overly aggressive too. Um, that's definitely what happened to me. Um, I was only loud because I was in an environment where being vocal and being heard was something. So whenever I was loud, they actually gave me a false sense of respect for it. And um, I was also overly private as a person. I was an overly private person because I was forced to be. Didn't share a whole lot. Didn't make a whole lot of noise. Didn't share, didn't share a lot about what I was feeling. So as a child in organized crime, when it came to the guys, I had rigid boundaries. I was forced to. In organized crime, I suffer from um, collapsed boundaries too. Because of it. I was living a double life. Um, I was living it. I was double living, double dipping, and double dealing. Um, in that world, and I was forced to. Um, I had a trust nobody mentality when it came to the guys. The women criminals, um, They just being around them. To some ex- 
content. I was allowed to be myself. I was allowed to be a lot bubblier. And that was about it. And for the most part, I was serious when it came to the men criminals. Like, women criminals, it was interesting how... I got to speak in my regular voice and they, you know, they just, because I was so protective of them and just women in general, how I sounded, they were like, what a, you know, they, they were cool with it. I mean, some women criminals were, I had to, it was interesting. I could be bubbly, but I still had to sound bass, but. After a while, they're like, eh, you can talk in regular voice, whatever. Um, because there were hyper-masculinity fans that were women criminals. So with them, it was a lot like the guys, you know, in terms of my behavior. Um, forced behavior, I should say. Uh, for the most part, women criminals let me be me. There's a handful that I had to be, you know, stereotypical masculinity, which I hated. Um, but I was never a misogynist, though. Um, I will say that when it came to just the men criminals, um, I always had game face, game time, um, strictly business model when it came to them. I wasn't affectionate with them at all. And the women criminals, for the most part, could be affectionate. The men criminals, I was never affectionate. Um... We didn't really compliment each other like that. Here and there, but we weren't big on complimenting each other. It's organized crime. Women criminals, we can compliment each other a lot and be, you know, you know, and seemingly okay, you know. So that's definitely um, So, I also wanted to say, uh, the organized crime world, basically if you were a guy and you showed any kind of life enjoyment, then homophobic or transphobic things could be said about you. Um... That world was, uh, for me, the most pure evil that exists, and I still stand by that and I always will. I can even say that in that world, 
I um, can honestly say that every crime is its own cult because every crime is its own culture. I remember being in that world and I saw so many people get deported, extradited, Also, a world where I saw people never see their families and friends and colleagues again. Firings, getting hired, discovered their criminal record, then fired. I've seen people get demoted. I've seen awards and promotions and raises be taken from people because it was found out they were part of criminality and crime rings. So, I even understood that in organized crime, you had to have a firm handshake and physical strength and brute strength to prove that you weren't less than a man. Couldn't cry. Couldn't show emotions. Had to be emotionless. Had to suck it up, be a man, take it. And strength was defined by how much pain you went through in life and behaved in the name of toxic positivity and false optimism. And, uh, I remember they couldn't show any weakness, any vulnerability because a manhood would be scrutinized profanely. The only people that could cry with or show emotion and sweetness and weakness were women the most and everybody that wasn't organized crime. Women criminals to an extent too. So that's what I went through in my time in organized crime, forced time organized crime, I should say. Um, Now let me tell you about, how I feel about religion some more. I've always felt puzzled that people say they're believers, but when it comes to all knowing God, 
y'all should be knowers. Talking about those who are of faith, they should say, we're knowers, not believers. I noticed that knowledge, evidence, and facts are victor language. A lot of times when faith-based people say, I faith, hope, and trust, sounds like victim language to me. Sounds like when it comes to God, you're shaky. Guessing games and not on solid ground. Isn't it better to know an all-knowing God instead of believing in an all-knowing God? And y'all call God an all-knowing God. You don't call God an all-believing God. So why believe in an all-knowing God? Y'all don't say, well, we believe in an all-believing God. Y'all say God is all-knowing. Um, I've learned that religion leaves no room for the gray areas of life. And I've learned that conservative theology leaves no room for mystery and uncertainty. I don't want to know everything because I would know my parents' sex life if I did, so I don't want to know everything at all. Also because there would be no room for pleasant surprises, pleasant amazement, pleasant astonishment. And not all ignorance is bad, some ignorance is healthy. Plus, I befriend mystery, I befriend uncertainty, I befriend complexity. Um, Biblical orthodoxy frowns upon complexity, um, sadly and tragically. And what I've learned is, is that I befriend complexities and I befriend gray areas too. I think that I'd rather know than to believe. I, in fact, let me correct that. I, I, I know that I'd rather know than believe. I'd rather have security than the religious version of blind faith. Why can't I walk by evidence, which is sight, instead of faith, which is playing the game of telephone that children play. Why can't I see this God that is said to be everywhere omnipresent? Sometimes I think to myself that Santa is the imaginary friend to children and perhaps God is the imaginary friend to adults. 
an imaginary being seeing all that I do, even my sex having, even my masturbating, even my shaving and waxing the hair off my body, and even seeing me urinate and defecate. But I can't see this being seeing me do all these things creeps me out intensely. These are the thoughts that I have about religion sometimes, also because evidence needs no defense, but apparently faith does, which makes no sense. And sometimes I think to myself, that I choose to also realize that within these seminaries and Christian schools and Christian universities, Christian colleges, I don't think they want their students to fully read the Bible they keep a lot of biblical um, researchable information away from the students because if they knew the truth, they wouldn't be believers. That's why they don't fully read the Bible. They'll just focus on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to read. But the other parts of the Bible, they go, if I read those parts, I have to admit that I was never a believer in the first place. And also, I befriend doubts and I befriend skepticism. Religion says that doubts and skepticism are never good, and I disagree because y'all say God is a parent. What parent in their right mind wants their children to be idiotic? What parent in their right mind wants their children to be of gullibility? So, these are doubts I have, and they don't control me. Um, I'm just understanding that. The God of the Bible, honestly, is someone I am not interested in knowing or believing in because that God is an enemy of the human rights movement, especially the Old Testament Yahweh. I wouldn't mind knowing a God that is a friend of the human rights movement. I don't want to believe in a God. I want to know a God. I don't want to believe in gods. I want to know gods. I don't want to believe in miracles. I want to know miracles. I don't want to believe in life after death. I want to know life after death. I don't want to believe in the supernatural. I want to know the supernatural. I don't want to believe in Christ figures. I want to know Christ figures. I don't want to believe in transcendental entities. I want to know transcendental entities. 
if I know, that means that facts and truth do the tango together. But if I say I believe, then inadequacy and insecurity do the tango together. I don't want to believe in the Bible writers. I want to know the Bible writers. Not to make them God, but I want to know. Because I don't I don't value anybody being duped, not even myself. I don't want to believe the Bible. I want to know the Bible. That way I don't carry myself as a charity case, metaphorically speaking. Knowing means, okay, it's proof that you're there. I can just easily point people to you. But if I believe, then I can't easily point people to you. And I want to know the truth in regards to transcendental entities, spirit, um, Christ figures, deities, supernatural miracles, life after death, and any spiritual beings. I want to know, are these only literal concepts or figurative concepts or both literal and figurative concepts? I want you to know. I'm done with believing. I don't want to believe in spiritual beings. I want to know spiritual beings. Because when people say they believe, they admit they don't know. When they say, I have faith, they're saying, I'm not sure. When they say they hope, they're saying... I have, I don't have the certainty. And when they say they trust, what they're saying is, I just go by assumptions. Those are the religious versions of what faith, hope, trust, and belief means. So, now I want to get to sex, okay? I thought about it some more and I said that I have to be extra careful with sex also for this reason. I understand that It's easy to regress to what happened to me back then. Sexually speaking, you know, traumatically as well. Especially that. And I said to myself, okay, I'm no longer going to live life as if that is happening again. That will never happen again. So also, I made a decision that 
I think I'll be having sex sporadically off camera and on camera for this new reason. As an extraordinary person, and I say this out of humility, not out of arrogance, it's extremely excruciating to have extraordinarily high quality sex partners like myself we're out here we're just very few when it comes to on camera and when it comes to off camera people that can really match me in terms of Extraordinary, extraordinarily high quality thinking, extraordinary high quality living, extraordinarily high quality doing, and extraordinarily high quality speaking, extraordinarily high quality feeling, extra, you know, extraordinarily high quality hearts, extraordinarily high quality souls. So that that's just a synonym for inner life. That's all. I'm not making it religious. Uh, extraordinarily high quality minds. They're uneasy to find, hard to find in layman's terms. So I understand that I'll spend most of my time not having sex off camera and I'll spend most of my time not having sex on camera too. So off camera and on camera, I'll be spending a lot of time engaging in other intimacies without physical intimacy and sexual intimacy. That means I'll be spending little time with physical intimacy and sexual intimacy. And that goes for, again, on and off camera, on camera, off camera. Um, and I had to really think about the type of person I am. And I said, well, the reason why I say that is because most people who would find me attractive and want to satisfy me romantically and sexually and just all around, um, I thought about that and I said, I have to be extra careful for this new reason. Because there are people who will say, you know, these people will say that um, they could handle casual, but recognize they can't and want to commit it. And I have no problem with that. I think that's cool. I just know that Casual does not mean treating someone casually. Non-monogamous non sex does not mean dirty up somebody in terms of mistreatment, you know? So most people would find me attractive. What I really mean to say is, is that I would have to be... I would have to vet 
extraordinarily. I can't just vet people and be, you know, this is what it is. I would have to vet with a clear heart, a clear mind, a clear soul, and a morally excellent mind, a morally excellent heart, a morally excellent soul. So most people find me attractive. Um, to be honest, we get digmatized. And that's not a bad thing. Um, digmatized does not mean that... you're less than a human being far from it it just means that in this case wow extraordinarily high quality human being i don't want this person to ever leave me so i'm not afraid of commitment i embrace you know commitment you know because i'm good at monogamy even though i um even though Non-monogamy is something I'm I'm good at too. Um, it's just for me. I know that I tend to be severe, severely into my autonomy and independence. So because of that, um, that's why I can say that I am a um, confirmed bachelor. Uh, type of person, person who just lives alone, no pets, uh, single, by choice person. But I recognize that a lot of people would feel like, but you're so, I see his marriage material and I see his parental material. So because I know that a lot of the people that would find me attractive would think of me in those ways. I, I can't. I know that I don't have it in me to toy with people. I know that I don't have it in me to play people. So that's those are things I'm sensitive to. Those are things I think about. Those are things I consider in my heart. Um, I'm not flip-flopping. I'm just acknowledging all the layers of what makes me me, my responses to myself and other people's responses to me. Um, I'm not a liar. Um, I'm definitely not a hypocrite. Um, not a cheater. I'm not a cheat, but I recognize that I do have that ability with people to you know impact people in such a way that means that because you're so good at being a family man that's how people see me they would say um it's just something about you makes me want to have more than just intercourse I want the whole I want all the yards that goes along with you so to have people that can just keep it you can keep it casual and still have a social life with who you're sleeping with of course but I know that I impact people more than that so casual is very few 
when it comes to me. Slim to none. I would go with slim. Um, Razor thin. Um, in terms of partners, you can just do that and be just, you know, interested, embrace that. So that's why I say that on off camera. Um, even on camera because um, a lot of people in the porn world are not sensitive lovers. But there are a handful that are. So, and then lastly, I'll close the episode. There are um, a lot of people in off camera are not sensitive lovers, but a handful are. I know I'm a sensitive lover. <laughs>